My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us online this morning. Uh, if you got your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 8, and we'll be there in just a few minutes, Lord willing. Uh, if you need a handout for today's lesson, uh, you can go to OurSundaySchool.com, and uh, the handout link for today's lesson is at the center at the bottom of that front page. So you can just click on the word handout and uh, follow along with us on uh, hopefully a different device than the one you're uh, watching with. So there's that. So I just want to say uh, good morning to folks. Uh, so we've got the McGarveys here this morning, the Barbers, the Arnolds, uh, Barry Cole. Uh, let's see, much like a goose, I'm down. Sean's awake. That's good to know. Uh, Brittany Janika, good morning. Uh, let's see, the Landers, uh, Nancy Miller, good morning, Miss Miller. Uh, I think Barry and Sean should never be allowed in the same room together. It seems like... Uh, all sorts of shenanigans could occur, but there's that. So if you got your Bibles, uh, we're in Mark chapter 8 today, uh, getting dangerously close to the end of Mark chapter 8. Uh, we certainly won't finish today, but uh, today's, today's text as we move into uh, this, this passage toward the end of Mark chapter 8, if you, if you pick up any type of a commentary or study help for the Gospel of Mark, uh, there's almost always an outline. I'm not a huge fan of outlines. I think they they can force us into um, forcing things into certain categories when they might not necessarily fit, uh, especially with an author as as loose with sequence as Mark is. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but Mark is uh, nowhere claims to be uh, uh, putting everything in order. Uh, if you start if you read the Gospel of Luke, the first few verses of Luke talk about how Luke is writing to Theophilus and he tells him he's going to give an orderly account, uh, a very structured arrangement of what happened. Um, Luke is a, a very sequentially oriented uh, gospel. Mark is mostly. Um, so the beginning of Jesus' ministry is at the beginning of the book. The crucifixion is at the end of the book and there's a whole lot of stuff in the middle. Uh, but there are certain actions and interactions that Jesus has that if you compare with other Gospels, they appear to be out of order in Mark. And that's just kind of the way it is. Mark didn't write down everything in order because Mark wasn't there. Uh, Mark was getting his information from Peter, uh, we believe, toward the end of Peter's life when they were in Rome, and then obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we'll, we'll kind of keep that perspective in mind as we go through today, uh, that Mark is reflecting Peter's uh, engagement with Jesus Christ because that's going to show up in today's text, uh, as well as, Lord willing, in next week's text as well. So let's, uh, let's walk through our question that we ask each week. Uh, so what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Uh, so be thinking about that question. Be thinking about how uh, God is working in us. Uh, and I'm going to read through uh, Mark's gospel, uh, chapter, just chapter 8. Don't worry. Julie just about had a stroke on the couch there for a second. So. <laughs> yes, it is Mr. Rogers. And uh, without Googling, without Googling, who is the other character? Bam. So I probably should not have given you a question immediately before reading God's Word because now you're going to be thinking about that. So we're in Mark chapter 8. 
Uh, I'll read through all of Mark's uh, chapter 8. <clears throat> In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Tal Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, did not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, his, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling on the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Mark chapter 8. Close that. Oh my gosh. I don't think Barry's awake yet. It's okay. All right. So let's take a look at uh, where we are in Mark's gospel. So Jesus has uh, called his disciples. He has uh, been healing. He has been teaching. He has been preaching. He is preaching the, the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, he has uh, engaged many, many times with uh, Pharisees and the scribes, uh, the religious elite of the day. And, and now we, we turn our eyes back towards just Jesus and his disciples. And, uh, and he asks them this question again and again and again and again. And if it, if it sounds repetitive at this point, it is. It's exactly what it is. And in today's text, um, after many questions with many incorrect answers, the light bulb flickers for Peter. And he gets it. And uh, I, I want to celebrate this fact because this is a beautiful thing. Uh, we believe that Jesus has been with his disciples for a while at this point. And we see the first real flicker of, I, th I think you're it. Like, I think it's about you. Um, and I say flicker because if Peter had had a fully fleshed out Christology, he would not have done what he did in the very next passage, right? Which is rebuke the one, rebuke the Messiah. Um, so I, we see this, we come and we go and we come and we go with their understanding, with their attention and with their, their grasping of what's going on. And I want to give them, I want to give the disciples a lot of grace here because we don't have to hold the mirror up too closely to our own faces to see that we flicker a lot as well with our theological positions. We, we get it and then live as if we don't. And then we get it and then we live as if we don't. And then we just act like we don't understand anything. And then we repent and believe, and we get it, and we may have some obedience for a certain amount, and then we just act as if we don't. So I, I just want to expound the text and not berate Peter or berate the disciples as we move through this particular passage as well as next week's passage. So with that, uh, verse 27. Verse 27, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. To the villages of Caesarea Philippi. So we are, um, we are at this point moving uh, northeast from where he was in Dalmanutha. Uh, we are getting farther away from Jerusalem at this point. Um, if you know anything about some of the other Gospels, there's the the work and the ministry of Christ, and then there's this long, steady trek toward Jerusalem. And, and Mark has that as well. Um, but I just wanted you to see that we are, we are getting on the outskirts of where heavily, densely populated, civilized areas were. Uh, this is uh, Philippi, Caesarea, and, and uh, Caesarea Philippi, sorry. And, and this is not a, not a frequent stop of Jesus's, uh, but this is on, he, he went on with his disciples to the villages 
And the next phrase, and on the way. And this, this happens a lot in Jesus' ministry, that we are, we are headed somewhere, and the reader, in the reader's mind, you might have this idea that, well, when we get there, we'll do ministry. And, and that's true, but on the way there is an opportunity to do ministry as well. And if you've been involved in church for any length of time, you're intimately aware with the concept I'm about to explore. And that's you, you think and you prepare and you plan and you go do some activity or some ministry uh, thing, but you find yourself presented with an opportunity to serve and to learn and to grow and to witness and to share on the way. Um, and, and this is one of the things that can really trip us up in very highly programmatic oriented cultures in church in that we think that only the program, only the stage, only the flashy thing itself is the opportunity to do ministry. And in fact, Jesus himself models for us that anywhere and everywhere is an opportunity to question and share about Jesus. So on the way, I don't want you to miss, on the way is when Jesus does this particular work. So on the way, he asked, and this is the imperfect tense again. So this is uh, things repeatedly happening in past time. He, he repeatedly asked his disciples, and then there's a word in the ESV that's not there. In some of the older translations, it's actually there. It's, it's there in the original Greek. Um, this uh, uh, lego, this, uh, this speaking or saying, so you could translate it. Uh, and on the way, he, he, asked his, he repeatedly asked his disciples, uh, saying over and over again, who do people say that I am? So you really have this double repetition in Greek, this uh, repeatedly asking and repeatedly asking this particular question. So this was something that Jesus asked a lot of his disciples. And if you, if you think about the leader of a group asking his followers, who do people say that I am? If it wasn't Jesus, this seems really, really self-focused and uh, arrogant and uh, how big am I and concerned and conceited and worried about my reputation and how others see me. And, and that's just not his point. His point is driving back to the disciples because he gets to his point when he asks the next question, when he says, who do you say that I am? Because he's trying to contrast what everybody else believes and what the disciples have seen up close. So just keep this in the back of your mind, this, this uh, tactic that Jesus uses of repetition and repetition and repetition and repetition. And when we come and we hear messages about the gospel and about who Jesus is, God help us if we ever get bored of hearing the repetition of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus himself repeatedly went through this process with the disciples. Back in uh, Mark 1, 14 and 15, talks about he called people repeatedly to repent and believe in the gospel. This was the theme of his preaching and teaching ministry was repentance and faith uh, in Christ. So, so don't get bored with this level of repetition because Jesus did it himself and it's good for us. Um, one, of the, one of the wonderful things, and I've mentioned this before, but one of the wonderful things about studying Jesus' life is that the closer we look, the more amazing he is. 
and with a right Christological view that Jesus Christ is good and right and holy in all that he does, we can rest assured that exactly what he does right here is the most perfect thing that could be done. It's not a, well, he was go- he was okay, right? No, 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 no. He was flawlessly holy and perfect in this situation right here. So there is not one sentence of the scripture that reflects what God has done that God is ashamed of. So if you look at this interaction with the disciples and you go, man, what's all these questions? He's trying to draw them into who he is. He is a kind and patient and loving Savior who is relentlessly focused on the message and the mission that God has sent him to do. So it's it's a beautiful uh, picture of commitment to what God has actually called you to do. So here we go. Who do people say that I am? Uh, this is what discipleship looks like up close, is repeatedly asking somebody, who do um, people say that I am? Then he gets uh, more focused as we go on. Verse 28, and they told him, uh, John the Baptist. Okay, so John the Baptist, all right, great. Tell them John the Baptist. They said, uh, and others say Elijah. So they're listening to more than one group. Okay, so John, some, say John the Baptist, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And if if this little exchange sounds familiar, it's because it should sound familiar. We've heard this before. Flip back over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. You look at verse 14. King Herod heard of it. This is Jesus' ministry, for Jesus' name had become known. And some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. So they're guessing, right? And like any good tyrant, Herod has a guess. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I have beheaded, has been raised. Right? So if, if, if you want to be like unbelievers, if you want to be like this tyrant Herod, guess about the Bible. Start stepping on toes. Right? We have a copy. Open it up. Ask the Lord to help you. Read. Think. <laughs> right? Question. Engage. Engage others before we respond and guess. Guessing is not helpful in our understanding of who Jesus is. We don't have to guess. We know who he is, right? So we have this reflection. Uh, so, so we hear this from people who were surrounding Herod. We also hear this from people who were surrounding Jesus. So this must have been a, a really widely held belief to have, to have made its way to the upper echelons of political power of Herod all the way down to the fishermen that hung out with Jesus. This was, there's a lot of people held these views that he was either John the Baptist or he was Elijah or he was one of the prophets. And then he gets to the thing, right? He's, he's peeled back, he's peeled back, he's peeled back, he's peeled back. If, if, you, if you laid out Mark 1 through 8 as a, the, the, a, a, as it were a sermon of today, at the very beginning, Jesus tells you what he's going to tell you, right, about the gospel. And then in Mark chapter 8, he's asking for a decision. 
Yeah, but who do you say that I am? This is what he says. And he asked. This is, again, in the imperfect. This is repeatedly. He's asking repeatedly. So this wasn't a one-time question either. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So let's break these words down for just a second. The word for you is a plural. He's asking them as a group. Who does this, who does, who, who do you as a group think or say that I am? And it's a, it's a present active. So uh, this is the, this is the, who, who, who are you talking to me about and how do you frame that? What do you say about me? Because this, question is really two different questions in one. It's not just who do you tell me? Who do you, who does the disciple who do the disciples tell Jesus that Jesus is? This is who do the disciples tell everybody else that Jesus is? Who do you say that I am? Right? Cuz some of us have really good theology when we're in church on Sunday morning. Everything's nice and neat and sanitized and ready to go. And then when we get out in the world, who do we say that he is? Is he somebody different? Is he somebody that's just good enough for that time? Or is he somebody that's consistent? Is he somebody that's always Christ, always the Messiah, always God in the flesh? It's a very interesting question. So who do you say that I am? Ego, I may. And never the one to go second. Uh, Peter, <laughs> I remember this is where uh, we believe Mark got his uh, account of this particular gospel. Peter answered to him. And, and this is where if you've read like the whole gospel and some of Acts and seen the, the rashness of Peter and the, the up and the down and the, you just, you want to cringe right before you get there and you go, oh no, what's he going to say? Right, and and I'll be honest with you, um, I've been teaching the Bible since I was uh, sixteen years old. It's ridiculous, and uh, and I have had all sorts of students in classes that I have taught. I have had students that uh, I had no business whatsoever teaching, because I, it, it uh, life experience, knowledge, walk with the Lord, they should have been leading the class and I should have been sitting up, shutting up in the corner just thanking God that I was able to be in the room. I've had students that were, that were passionate, that dig in, that learn, that share what they've learned, that get excited and tell others what they... It's just a beautiful picture. I've had folks who were openly antagonistic to the gospel and to the Bible and to God. Um, I've had atheists that I've taught for extended periods of time, uh, some in our Sunday school class in the last 10 years. Um, I've had folks that uh, were not sure what they believed, that were honest seekers and asked a lot of questions. I've had folks that were angry at everybody all the time. And then I've also had the folks that when I'm talking, they have a question and it gets blurted out and they'll be fantastic questions. And the last group is the scariest one. 
It's the group when I ask a question, they're the first one to answer, and it's heresy 100% of the time. It's not even close. If I were to ask, what's your favorite color? The answer, as loud as it would be, would be 42. I, I don't, okay, we weren't talking about numbers, but great. I think that's the answer to life, the universe, and everything too, but that's just not, like, colors. Okay. And, and, and at this moment, with what we know about Peter, especially from the other Gospels, in my mind, this is an opportunity for him to swing and miss, right? Just completely whiff. And he doesn't. It's the most theologically sound thing that comes out of his mouth in the Gospel of Mark. And it's beautiful. And it's one of the very very, very few times in the New Testament where the word order in Greek is the same as the word order in English and every word is there. You are the Christ. It's beautiful. It's one of the reasons why if you look at this particular phrase in a lot of different translations, it's basically the same thing everywhere. Because it's so incredibly simple. It's so incredibly flawlessly correct. You are the Christ. Look at the word you. This is a singular. There's only one you. Are. It's a present active indicative. Right now, it's a fact. And the beautiful thing is, at any point in time, before time, during time, or after time, you can make this statement, and this statement is a present active indicative. It is a fact. You, singular, are right now the, there's one, Christ. This is the anointed. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the Redeemer, the Savior, Yeshua. The Greek word is Christos. And this word shows up several different times in Mark's gospel. And the first one... That's what I love about Mark. He gets to the point. Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we see all of these different times that Mark uses this word. One of my favorites, well, it, it's like picking between your kids, right? Um Look at the last time that it's used in Mark 15, 32. This is the crucifixion. So they have put the inscription up above. Uh, the passers-by in verse 26 are deriding, the, are deriding him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Verse 31. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, not to his face, but to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Let the Christ, the King of Israel. Now, I want I, I, I draw your attention to this particular reference in the Gospel of Mark because I want you to see that, that you can use this title in a derogatory, mocking way toward Jesus and get the fact right and the faith wrong. 
And this is a caution to us because these were the chief priests with the scribes. These are the religious folk, right? He said, let the Christ, the king of, they even, they even had the right title. He, he, was the, he is the king of Israel, right? The Christ, the king of kings and lord of lords too, but the, the Christ, the king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. They sound like Thomas there, right? Unless I, unless I see the nail prints and see the hole in his side, I won't believe. Well, he does come down from the cross. He actually gets up out of the grave uh, so that people can see and believe. But he is the Christ. He is the king. Um, and I don't want to miss how, how Mark uses, who he establishes right up front. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are the Christ. And even the religious leaders at the end, in their mocking, got the fact right. And the question is, who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Do you have the fact right? Do you have the faith right? Do you have neither right? It's an important question. Verse 30, and he strictly charged them. It's a passionate word. This word shows up many times in the Gospel of Mark, and most of the times it's talking about the people that Jesus has healed and his response to them afterward on, don't, don't go tell anybody about this. Don't, don't go tell anybody about this. This is, this is not for broad consumption at this point. And he strictly charged them. He forbid them. And there's the Greek word hina the, in order that, because he, he always has a purpose, right? Uh, in, in order to tell no one about him because it wasn't yet time. It wasn't time for this message about who Jesus was, that Jesus is the Christ, to be public. Now, we are shockingly close to the time. <laughs> we are. Uh, it, I feel like at, the, at this point in the gospel, we are where most modern preachers talk about the return of Christ being. It is, it is imminent. We are just around the corner to this happening. Uh, but at this moment, it was not yet time. So a couple of applications and personalizations. Um, application number one, I would say the, the question, who do you say that I am? The question is for everyone and for each one. It's for everyone and for each one. And the question will be answered. Right? The, the, the question one way, one day or another, will be answered. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone will get the answer right one day. So what, what, what do we do with that? Well, one, I would say answer it. <laughs> uh, there's a group answer and an individual answer. I would encourage you, to be in a group of believers who consistently answer this question correctly. If you are in a church, in an assembly, in a congregation where people do not know the answer to this question, I would argue, I would propose that that might not be a gospel-centered place. So there is a group understanding that Jesus asked this question to the group. So I want to make sure that the group that we are in gets this question right. At the same time, this is a question every individual has to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is?
So what do we do with that? Answer it. Should be a group answer and an individual answer. And they should be the same, by the way. Uh, what's the point number two? Not everyone will answer it correctly. Not everyone will answer it correctly. Uh, so what do we do with that? Well, what did Jesus do with that? He asked him over and over and over and over and over. So we keep asking, right? Personalization number two, keep asking. If not everybody gets it right, just keep asking. It's okay. Very rarely in your life are you going to share the gospel with somebody and they immediately fall in on their knees and repent and believe. Very rarely. It just doesn't happen very often. It will. If you're consistent in sharing the gospel, this is likely to happen one day. But the vast majority of the time, you're going to, need to keep asking. And there's a level of commitment to the message and the messenger that is necessary for this. So application number three, uh, not everyone answers it at the same time. Not everyone answers it at the same time. Some people take a little bit longer to answer than others. Uh, Peter was the first one that jumped up and said, you know, you are the Christ. We don't have a record of everybody else going, yeah, what he said. As far as we can tell, there's just Peter at this point. Okay. What does Jesus do? Keeps asking. <laughs> what do we do? Keep asking. Personalization number three. Keep asking. Ask the question over and over and over and over again. I would actually argue that it's a fantastic question to ask after you have repented and believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and you are a child of God. Because there will come days and hours and minutes and seconds and sometimes decades where it is challenging to believe this. And we should regularly remind ourselves of who Jesus is. He is the Christ. There's nobody else who is. Just him. And then application number four, Jesus is the Christ. I probably should have put this as number one, but in my notes I just go back and edit things sometimes. So Jesus is the Christ. Don't miss the great, big, hairy, audacious uh, point of this text. Jesus is the Christ. He got it right. Yes, this is good news. This means I don't have to be the Christ. This means I don't have to live a perfect life. This means I can put my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That means I can turn from my sin and place my faith in Christ and get his righteousness in exchange for my sin. This is amazing news. So what do we do with that? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. At some point, I'm going to go back and accumulate all of the applications and the personalizations from this entire series. And about half of them are going to be repent and believe. <laughs> and if you've been following with this for any length of time at all, you're probably tired of repent and believe, the message so far. And you better get used to it because we're only almost halfway through Mark. And there's a lot more repentance and believing to come. So, there's a question I asked you earlier. Who are the two people on my shirt? So, let's see if I can get it up higher for you here. My chair's probably going to break. There we go. So, we've got Mr. Rogers. <clears throat> you should recognize Mr. Rogers. And then uh, Officer Clemens. And uh, this particular episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was uh, Mr. Rogers' attempt at uh, breaking down uh, racial walls and tension for kids very directly. Uh, this was in a time of segregation, uh, and Mr. Rogers asked Officer Clemens to 
uh, get in the pool with him. And they put their feet in the same pool. And uh, the re- so I love this shirt for a lot of reasons. One is because uh, it, it reminds me that everybody is important. And where we have groups that are oppressed or um, uh, uh, pushed down in some way, there has to be a focus and an effort on them to assist and help and fix, if you will. And I, I think it has an application toward today's text because as we go through life, we sometimes will look at somebody and go, oh, yeah, I wouldn't share the gospel with them. I don't want them in the pool of Christianity. No, 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 no. Oh, my gosh. What, what kind of an awful approach is this, right? The gospel is big enough for everybody. Jesus' call was for whosoever will. So as we go through and ask this question, everybody gets the same question. Everybody. I don't care what the color of your skin is. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you have or have not believed in the past. I don't care what member of a church or not a church you're a member of. Everybody gets this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Be patient, be persistent, and keep at it. Don't stop asking this question to ourselves and to those around us. Because God's family is big enough for anybody to say yes to Christ. So uh, I'll leave you with that concept and uh, we'll start next week with uh, Mark 8 verse uh, 31. Um, I do want to make sure that if you'd like to be a member of our Sunday School, you can go to OurSundaySchool.com. You can subscribe to all the resources that are there. Um, You can listen to a lesson and become a member. And then on the end uh, of today's lesson, I encourage you to pray for each other. Pray for somebody that's not with you. Um, If you have any prayer requests or questions about today's lessons or comments, just fire away in the comments uh, section on Facebook there. I'd be happy to engage. And then uh, if you've got... Uh, some time uh, after this is over. I'd love for you to engage uh, online with us at stewartheights.org or YouTube or Facebook for our morning worship service. So with that, that's today's lesson. I love you guys. I miss you guys. And uh, keep asking that question, who do you say that Jesus is? Love you guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.